0: Amen. Thank you, Don. Well, good morning again. It's Good to see you. Ya. Y'all should give yourself a pound the back for being here on time. It was great. Hey, uh, we're going to start. We're in our fourth week of our series on the book of Revelation. I'm going to start this morning Revelation chapter 1 and verse 9. You can follow along on the screen or you can watch, look at the app on your phone or in your Bible that you have. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 9 begins, I, John, now this is the John, the Apostle John, this is the John who's one of the 12 disciples of Jesus, John, this is the John who had saw Jesus perform many miracles, who had heard Jesus' teachings, who had followed Jesus around during his public ministry. That's who this John is. He's the guy writing this letter. He says, I, John, was on the island of Patmos on account of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus. So let me translate that for you. When John says on account of Jesus, he's saying that I'm in prison. You say, Gordon, how do you know that John's in prison? Well, because he says he was on the island of Patmos when he wrote down the words of this revelation. Uh, The island of Patmos back in the first century was the Alcatraz, right? The Alcatraz of the first century of the Roman world. They would send prisoners there. It was a detaining place for prisoners, uh, Roman prisoners, and so John was one of those. I've got a map for you here. You can see the island of Patmos. It's off the coast of modern-day Turkey between Greece and Turkey. Um, we have some church members who actually have, have visited this particular island, and there's a picture of some sites from the island. There's a monastery that's on top of a hill um, overlooking a city, and it's believed that this monastery and the chapel that's been dedicated there in this, in this kind of a cave or whatever, however you want to call that, was the spot where John received this revelation while he was a prisoner, a political prisoner, on the island of Patmos, um, Uh, Now, I point all this out because historians know for certain that John, the Apostle John, was on the island of Patmos at the end of his life between 90 and 95 A.D. I have a timeline for you here. You can see on the one end of the timeline, 90 to 95 A.D., island of Patmos, John was there. Historians know that. Um, But you know that we've also been teaching this perspective of the book of Revelation, that the book of Revelation was fulfilled in 70 A.D. with the destruction of Jerusalem. At least that's the perspective that I've been teaching Um, And that poses the problem, because you look at 70 AD happened, and then John receives this revelation 25 years later, kind of anticlimactic, wouldn't you think? I mean, if the revelation was supposed to be about some event that took place in 70 AD, you'd think he would have received it just a few years before. Well, there's a very simple solution to this problem, and the solution is, could John not have been on the island of Patmos two times, right? Right? because in 64 AD, the apostle Peter had, was crucified upside down by Nero Caesar. In 67 AD, the apostle Paul was taken as a prisoner and was then uh, had his head cut off. And so many of the apostles lost their lives in that decade leading up to 70 AD. A lot of the apostles were made political prisoners. John was the only one who survived his imprisonment but it would make sense that John, like the other apostles, was arrested by the Roman authorities and, uh, and probably had some—I don't know how he, how he got out of that, but anyway, Jesus said he would live to see all the things that Jesus uh, spoke about to take place. So John was the one who lived on till the end of his life, uh, till the, uh, died of old age. Um, and so uh, we've learned over the past couple of weeks, you know, when you look at the internal evidence— of the book of Revelation, it seems to be pointing towards 70 AD as the focus, as the target of what Jesus is talking about here, what what these visions are all about. For example, we talked about how John the writer says, look, the time for these things is near. We saw that in the opening lines of the letter, that it's going to happen soon. We see that all through the letter of, of Revelation. Jesus himself says, behold, I'm coming soon. And we've talked about what the word soon means. It means Soon. That's interesting, isn't it? Y'all, you got, you got plenty of sleep last night. Uh, we looked at Revelation chapter 17 and how the beast represents Rome. That is the city of seven hills. The seven heads of the beast represent uh, the seven the city of seven hills. That's the interpretation or the explanation that the angel gives to John. And we know that the historic reference for the city of Rome is the city of seven hills or the city of seven mountains. We also learn in Revelation chapter 13 that the, that the beast is also a man and that his number is 666. And when you take Nero Caesar's name, and you convert it into Hebrew letters, and then you take the valuation of each of those letters, count them all up, you get 666. I didn't tell you this a couple of weeks ago, but if you take Nero Caesar's name and you write it in Latin, and you take the value of each of the letters, you get 616. And it's interesting, if you have a study Bible, in the text note of your study Bible, it'll say, in some ancient manuscripts, it reads 616. And the reason for that is, the people who were receiving this in the decades after 70 AD, didn't know Hebrew, they were Gentiles, they weren't raised Israelites, and so but they, everybody spoke Latin, and so they would take his name, put it in, in Latin, ter, Latin letters, and then take the valuation from that at 616, and everybody would go, oh, we know who we're talking about here. We learned last week that John saw a temple still standing with people making sacrifices to it, and so if John had received this vision, and go back to our timeline real quick, if John had received this vision in 90 to 95 A.D., um, 25 years after the temple had been destroyed and yet he sees a vision of a temple standing in Jerusalem, it wouldn't have made any sense to him with people making sacrifices to it. So what that would mean is that a number, another temple somewhere off into the future soon, right, not 2,000 years later, soon, would have had to been reconstructed, and sacrifices had to been made to that. But see, again, that old age, the Old Testament age of the law, the sacrificial system ended at 75 AD. God was not going to let the Jewish people reconstruct a temple and start making sacrifices for sin again. That sacrifice had been made once and for all. Um, now, that's the longest introduction I've probably ever given you on a sermon on Sunday morning. But anyhow, I just want to know kind of where we've come from, where we're at right now, Uh, we're going to begin working at this point sequentially through the letter of Revelation, through the book of Revelation. So we're going to start today at chapter one. We're going to cover chapters one, two, and three, and then we're going to begin working in the weeks up to Easter all the way through sequentially through the text. So um, our text comes from Revelation chapter one, verses 10 through 16. Today, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet for the reading of God's word, Revelation chapter one. Let's begin reading at verse 10. This is the first of many visions that John is going to have, okay? Here it comes, beginning at verse 10. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, Write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, and to Pergamum, and to Thyatira, and to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands. from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun, shining in full strength. You may be seated. Now you're thinking to yourself, I hope there's a meaning, some interpretation for this one, right? What are we looking at? What's going on here? All right, let's walk through these verses together. Let's begin at verse 10. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, so, right, in this loud trumpet. And this voice was saying to him, write what you see in a book, and send it to the seven churches. Now, what was it that John was supposed to do? Thank you. He wrote, he was supposed to write down what he sees, right? And, and so uh, that's why we call this a vision, right? Because he sees it. I just like, to, you know, that's my mind sometimes. So it's a vision. He sees it and he's supposed to write down what it was that he sees. And then what's he supposed to do with it once he sees it? See, I, yeah, lick the envelope, has the stamp on it, and send it off to each of these seven churches. And we just pointed those out, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I got a map for you here with the seven churches on it. You can see they're all tucked in right there in Asia Minor. We're going to come back to that here in just a little bit. Let's keep going. Verse 12, Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, I saw one like a son of man. That is a human-type figure. He saw a humanoid type of figure, he says. And this figure was clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. Verse 14. The hairs of his head were white, white like wool, like snow. So we can imagine maybe the hairs of this person's head were kind of flowing a little bit in heaven's breezes. I don't know. But his hair was white like wool, it says. Um, and he says his eyes were like flames of fire. So any of y'all watched the Superman TV show from way back in the day or the new ones that they made, you know that the man of steel has these eyes when, they get, when he gets mad or when he wants to like laser beam something, they turn like fiery. And so you can imagine this figure has those fiery laser beam Superman type of eyes. Um, verse 15, his feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. So his feet, when, he, when John looks at his feet, the guy's feet were like molten metal. They were just white hot. That's the kind of description that we get here. And he says, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. Um, you've been to a, standing next to a stream or standing next to a small river after it's been raining for several days, and that water's just blowing down through there. And if you've got somebody standing next to you, I mean, the two of you can barely have a conversation because the sound of the water is so loud. And so the idea here is that when this person speaks, this person's voice is so encompassing, it just takes over the whole area. This person's voice just kind of drowns out every, anything, any other noise that may be around. This is not a pretty character. This is not somebody you want to go snuggle up with. <laughs> that's, not, that's not the image that's being painted here of this particular character. And look at John's response, verse 17. It says, when I saw him, I fell at my feet, or I fell at his feet as though Dead. John collapsed. He just passed out on the ground. He's like, I was like a dead guy. I wasn't looking around a little bit like, oh, no. John was literally laid out on the ground. Um, he was passed out, he says, as though dead. Somebody looked at me and thought, I wonder if he died. Um, and so that's, that's, that's John's response when he sees this figure that's just oozing, right? Got flames coming out of his eyeballs. This figure that's just oozing with all this glory. Back up, back to, up to verse 16. It says, In his right hand, he held stars. This guy's got stars in his hand. He's got stars in his hand. I mean, that's remarkable, right? Not just little like uh, lightning bugs that are glowing there. I mean, he's got stars in his hand, he says. And his, from his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword. So he's got a sword coming out of his mouth with two sharp edges on it. And his face, he said, was like the sun. His face was glowing. You ever looked up at the sun at full strength? That's what he says it looked like. You ever looked up at the sun on a July day? You look at it, you got to look away. You look at it, you got to look away. You can't just stand there and stare at it. And so this figure's face was like the sun in a hot July day at full strength. He couldn't even look upon it. It was so bright. Now, the question is, who is this person? Who is this human-like figure with eyeballs that are flaming and sword coming out of his mouth? I mean, who are we talking about? Well, if you've got a red-letter edition of the Bible, that means that they write the words of Jesus in red, Then you already know, right? Who are we talking about here? That's right. This is the Lord Jesus that John sees. This is a very different Jesus than John remembers that he was walking around with on the earth. This is a very Jesus, very different Jesus than John remembers hanging on a cross. This is a very different Jesus than John remembers having a, a bite of fish for breakfast with around a campfire. Uh, this Jesus has pulled his flesh back. This Jesus has stepped outside of his, the veil of his physical flesh, and all of his glory is on display, and John sees it, and when he sees it, he falls to the ground as they're dead. Verse 17, But Jesus laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not. I am the first and the last, and the, one, and the living one. I died, Jesus says. Jesus died on the cross. He said, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Jesus resurrected from the dead. And I have the keys of death and Hades. That is the keys of hell. I'm going to ask you to hold on to that. Remember that, because seven weeks from now, it's going to become really important. So y'all got that, right? Logged in. Jesus is holding the keys to death and hell. All right, we'll get there one day. All right, verse 20, it says, as for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, here is what those things represent. We don't have to wonder what they are. We don't have to sit here and go, I don't know. Maybe I'll speculate. I don't, this is what this might be. The vision is going to tell us. Um, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. Have you ever heard anybody talk about guardian angels before? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, And you wonder, where does that theology come from? Like, What Bible verse is that tied it into? It's this verse right here. This idea that, this, that there's an angel attached to each of those seven churches, because you remember those seven churches were undergoing tremendous persecution. They were being fed to the lions. Nero had just cut off Peter's head. Nero had just or, or, or crucified Peter upside down. He had just cut off Paul's head. And the church members themselves were being set on fire. There's all kinds of terrible things happening to the members of these seven churches. And so God has assigned a guardian angel, if you would. That's what the text is saying to watch over these individual congregations, these seven churches. So the idea of, a you know, is that a generalizable principle? Well, I don't know, but I mean, that's where the idea of a guardian angel comes from. Chapter two and verse one. Chapter two and verse one begins a very short little address to one of these churches. On this particular occasion, it's the church at Ephesus. Let's go back to our map real quick. You can see Ephesus. It's on the uh, coast of the, of, of, of modern day Turkey, there, up into the Aegean Sea a little ways. It's a port city. It was a harbor city. It was an important city for the Romans. They would have goods and services coming through there, soldiers going in and out from that area. Verse 1 begins To the guardian angel of the church in Ephesus, write these words. And then a message is shared with the church at Ephesus. So each of these seven churches is going to receive a unique message from the Lord Jesus through these angels, through the writings of John. So, it's a message that's crafted for each of these churches. But what you're going to see is that the format in which these notes are written um, is, is the same from one church to the next. Let me show you a couple of examples of this. So, verse 1 said, To the guardian angel of the church in Ephesus, write these words. Verse 8, on to another church, it says, And to the, church of the, and to the angel of the church in Smyrna, write these words. Verse 12, And to the angel of the church in Pergamum. So, each time one of these new notes starts out, each time one of these churches is addressed, Newly, right, and we're going to get a unique message. The format for the address is the same. It always starts out, "And to the angel of the church of," and so on and so forth. And you read through all those and see that same formula pointing, uh, moving through there. So, again, there's a specialized message for each church, but the format in which that message is shared is the same from one church to the next, from one note to the next. It'd be the same as if you had a five-paragraph essay. Y'all ever turn in five-paragraph essays, right? Remember that in your English teacher days? So glad that's behind me. So but you turn in a five-paragraph essay, and you know that in each one of those essays that's turned into your English teacher, there's going to be an introduction, there's going to be a conclusion, and there's going to be three paragraphs that form the body of that essay. And But the interesting thing is that while all the five-paragraph essays follow that format, the message that each student shares or the information that each student shares is going to be unique from one student to the next. So same thing here, seven churches, going to get seven unique messages, but they're all going to follow this same format. So let's take a look again at the unique note and the unique message that uh, is shared with the church at Ephesus, chapter 2 and verse 1. Y'all doing okay? Okay, to the angel of the church in Ephesus write these words, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. So, who is the person that's doing these things? It's the person who's holding the seven stars in his hand and who's walking around amongst the seven golden lampstands. Lampstands represent the seven churches, the seven stars represent the seven angels. And who is that person? All right, y'all are sharp today. Verse 2 I know your works, that is, your good deeds. I know your toil, I know how hard you've worked, and your patient endurance, that is, on behalf of the gospel, how you cannot bear with those who are evil. So Jesus starts out here his note to the church in Ephesus with some wonderful words of affirmation. Jesus starts out his note to them saying, I'm going to compliment you on the good things that are going on here in your church. Um, Verse 3, it says, I know that you are enduring patiently. That is a wonderful quality to have and that they're bearing up for my name's sake and that you have not grown Weary again. Wonderful words of affirmation. I've got a slide for you here that just shows some of what the church in Ephesus kind of summarizes what we just read. Some of the things that they've been doing: their good works, they're doing toiling, hard work, their patient endurance. They don't put up with sin. You get the point. This church is doing some really good things, and Jesus points that out. He's happy with what he sees. However, he says, "Look, I've also got some stuff that I need to that you're not doing so well." And so here he says, verse four, he says, "But I have this against you." that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. Now, their first love is not their third grade you know, playground buddy or, or girlfriend or whatever, right? That's not the first love that we're talking about here. The first love that Jesus is talking about is himself. He says, you remember the days when you first met me? You remember the days when you were first forgiven, that feeling of being set free from your past and how you entered into this new relationship with me and you remember what that felt like? And Jesus says, some of those feelings have dwindled. Some of that passion has been lost. And so Jesus says to them, verse 5, Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works that you did at first. In other words, don't deny that we've fallen out of love, That you've fallen out of love with me. Just own it, admit it, and then let's move forward fresh and new again. So that's Jesus' message to the church at Ephesus. Let's take a look at one more, just one more, at the church at Thyatira. Uh, chapter 2 and verse 19, it says, I know your works, your love and faith and service, all really good things. But he says, verse 20, I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel. Now, Jezebel was an Old Testament uh, figure. Uh, She was married to King Ahab, and she was bad news. She led the people of Israel into all kinds of mess and corrupted the nation. And Ahab listened to her, and he shouldn't listen to her. And she was from a country far off, and she worshiped these false gods. She was bad news. And so it says, verse 20, you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who is teaching and seducing my servants. Um, now I got another slide for you here, and it shows uh, kind of all the churches, all the seven churches. So we got seven unique notes, seven messages to each of the churches. And so I tried to summarize as best I could in a, in a word or two, the good and the bad to each of those churches. You can see Sardis there. You can see Philadelphia there. You can see Laodicea, and so that's what that slide is. And just so you know, um, Carla. She is so great. She's not, I wish you hadn't pointed me out this morning, but I'm going to point her out because she uploads our sermons every week. And so she's created a little spot on the sermons where it says notes. And so you can click on notes. And so these slides are now starting to show up there, especially for this series. Um, it, just helpful to be able to go back and look at some of that stuff uh, for your Bible studies and things like that. Everybody say, thank you, Carla. She's great. All right. So there's one more bit of information that I want to point out this morning, and then we'll get to our question for today. Go back to chapter two and verse seven. Jesus closes out each one of these notes with this line. Remember, he has a format that he follows from one note to the next, and here's, the, here's how he closes out each one of these notes to the churches. He says these words, chapter 2 and verse 7, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit of God says to the churches. Let he who has an ear hear what the Spirit of God says to the churches. What, is an ear, what are ears for? You say, if you're wearing glasses, hold up your glasses, right? Um, no, it's not for that. It's for you to be able, it's in addition to holding up your glasses, it's so that you can hear. It's so that you can, the world around you, you can participate with it through an audible sensory. And so Jesus says, if you've got ears, Then I want for you to be able to hear. What's he saying? He's saying, hey, look, I want for you to listen. I want for you to actually, not just my words to pass by your ears, but I want for them to sink into your ears. That is for it to go inside of your heart. Classic example of this. I was watching TV this past week. Y'all know where I'm going. Nope, you don't. I was watching TV this past week, and um, I heard something. And I kept watching TV. And in my line of sight, I see two eyeballs and I see a head cocked sideways. <laughs> and it was my lovely wife, Claire. <laughs> and she had said something, and she was trying to have a conversation with me, and it went past my ears. I, it, I heard it, but I didn't hear it, right? So some of, none of y'all have that problem, at least that you want to admit. So um, if you look across the Gospels, though, you'll see Jesus saying the same line over and over again. For example, when he's talking about John the Baptist, um, John the Baptist is out there preaching that, hey, look, the Messiah is coming. He's following right after me. And Jesus says, look, John is the one who's out there uh, calling in the wilderness, talking about the Messiah coming, and I'm that guy. And so Jesus then responds, Matthew chapter 11 and verse 15, who has ears to hear. Let him get it. Let this sink in. Let him hear. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus tells the story of some seeds and how some of the seed gets thrown on good ground, and it grows, and how some of the seed gets thrown on bad ground, and it grows a little bit, or it withers away, or it doesn't grow at all, or the the birds come and eat it up. And then Jesus finishes up that parable by saying, hey, look, the, the seeds are the gospel. The seeds are the good news that you can have your sins forgiven. And if you're here this morning, you've never put your faith and your trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, friends, he offers that to you. Jesus wants to enter into a real and personal relationship with you. The seeds of the gospel are there, Friends, all we have to do is take it and receive it, respond to it, invite Jesus into our heart, ask Him to forgive us of our sins, and our eternal destiny from a disaster in hell to glory and eternity in heaven will be yours. Um, and so Jesus says, at the end of his story, he says, uh, Matthew chapter 13 and verse nine, "He who has ears, let him hear." Back to Revelation two and verse seven, closing out his note to the Ephesians. He says, "He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the seven church, to the churches." In other words, don't let Jesus' words fall on deaf ears. Let his words sink in." Okay, well that's our text for today. That's my attempt not to spend an hour working through chapters one, two and three. We'll talk about how you'll be able to engage that material in the coming week. But in any case, that means it's time for us to ask our most important question, what difference does all this make to my life? You say, Gordon, I mean, that's amazing that Jesus has got a sword coming out of his mouth and, and fire coming out of his eyeballs. But outside of that, I mean, he wrote these messages to the first century seven churches. What difference does any of this make to my life? That's a great question. Let me see if I can answer that. Have you ever prayed a prayer like this? God, show me what you want me to do? God, speak to me, please. God, tell me the direction that I'm supposed to go. I know I've prayed prayers like that. I'm sure you have prayed prayers like that. We've all prayed prayers like that. Perhaps some of us woke up this morning praying a prayer like that. God, how about it? Can you please say what it is that you want me to do, or the direction that you want me to follow, or the path that I should go? Well, what we learned in the book of Revelation is that God does send specific messages to his people. And what we learned in the book of Revelation is that we have to have ears that can hear. We know what that means, right? That we allow that message to then sink in. So God's speaking, he is speaking, and that we need to have ears that are capable of hearing that message that'll sink in. Well, let me share with you how you can hear from God and how you can make sure That when God is speaking, because he's speaking, that you and I don't miss it. Flip over in your Bibles to Psalm chapter 40 and verse 6. Just a couple verses here. Psalm chapter 40 and verse 6. It reads like this. In sacrifice and offering, God, you have not delighted. That is not what God's looking for. He's not looking for you and I to bring our sacrifices, to make our offerings to God and say, that's my relationship with you. That is my religion. That's not what God's looking for. He says, but you have given me rather an open ear. Now the English translation didn't say what's actually there. They said what the meaning of what is actually there. What's actually there in the Hebrew language is it says, God, you have chiseled my ears open. You have chiseled my ears Open. That's the actual literal translation of what's going on there. But it wouldn't have made much sense to us to think about chiseling my ears. What do you What's what's up with chiseling your ears? Let's think about that for just a second. Back in biblical times, what kind of a material? What kind of a material would be common in in Jesus's day as a building material? Oh, I gave it away, didn't I? She went over there too early. You'd think wood, right? They certainly had wood, but stone would have been a common building material. And so as you're walking down the road in the first century, that's been a very common sound. You'd have known that there was a construction site somewhere off over there. Guys, whacking on that, whacking on that stone. And you'd hear that all the time. And so what's what's the psalmist saying here? He's saying, God, you have cracked. I got rocks in my ears, right? You have opened up my ears. You have chiseled My ears open so that I can hear you again. Um, Flip over to Jeremiah chapter 23 and verse 29. One more passage of scripture for you. Jeremiah 23 and verse 29. And we'll see how it is that God gets the rocks out of our ears. All right? How God opens our ears. Jeremiah 23 and verse 29. It says, it's not my word, is not my word, God speaking here, is not my word like fire. Fire declares the Lord, like a hammer that breaks the rocks to pieces. What is it that breaks the rocks to pieces? What is it that chisels the rocks in my ears and in your ears? It's the hammer. It's the word of God. It's God's inerrant and infallible, authoritative for all time and all people. It's his word. It's his written word, friends. When we spend time with the Word of God, when we start our day with reading the Word of God, it gives us ears to hear. Now, there's an image that's branded into my mind of uh, in the mornings when I get up, head off to school, um, and I'd, I'd go walking out into the family room, get some bite of breakfast. I'd see my dad sitting over there in the family room in his chair, and he'd have his Bible open in his lap, and he would be reading through God's Word. And I have that image in my mind of my dad sitting in his chair in the mornings, just pouring over, reading through God's Word, and that's how he started his day. Now, I just want to thank you because some of y'all know that my dad took a spill a couple of weeks ago, and he's been laid up uh, getting over that. But anyhow, thank you for the many uh, questions about how he's doing, checking in, uh, cards, all that sort of stuff. He is so appreciative. My dad's um, over in a rehab place over in Gwinnett, and he—he's ah, my dad, but anyway, he, he sings— um loudly so that everybody in the whole place can hear him and uh, people are coming in and he's asking if they wanted to pray with him anyhow that's my dad but he started his day when i was uh, when i was a young child and i can remember that with his bible open in his lap allowing the word of god to do what to chisel his ears open to open his ears because god was wanting to speak to him during the day god was wanting to speak to all of us he's out there talking god is there he's speaking but until we get the rocks out of our ears, until we open up our ears, it's just going to be noise passing by. And the way that those rocks get broken up and the way that we get to hear God's voice is by spending time in his word. I want to leave you with a challenge this morning because I wasn't able to cover all of this material. Um, and so I want for you to be able to go in this coming week and spend some time with these Seven letters, these seven notes to the seven churches. We got seven days, right, between now and we get back together again, and so we got seven churches. It just seemed too good of an opportunity, and so what I'd like for you to do is to spend some time each day reading through the verses for each of the seven churches. Not not all seven churches on the same day, but pick Ephesus on the day tomorrow. Be F, be reading through Ephesus verses one through seven. The next day, the next church. The next day, the next church. And here's what I want for you to do. I don't want you to just read it once. I don't want you to just read it twice. I want for you to read it a whopper 20 times. You say, 20 times? Why do I got to read it 20 times? I mean, I already read it like 18 times. Why do I got to read 19? Because here's what's going to happen. When you spend time with God's word, and it begin, you begin to see the characters in that church in Ephesus, and you hear the words that God's speaking to them about their patient endurance, and you're going to begin, as those words become familiar to you, you're going to begin thinking about what it was like for the granddad who was heading off to jail, and the family would probably never see him again. Or the husband and wife that got separated. And Jesus says about your patient endurance. And by the time you get to like number 18, number 19, it's going to begin making its way into your heart. Because we don't just want to have the words pass by our ears. We want them to sink down deep inside of us. And friends, if you do this 20 times a day, pick a church for each of the days, What's going to happen is God's going to open up your ears. He's going to chisel your ears open. This is the hammer, the word of God. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear. Let's bow our heads together. Most gracious heavenly Father, we thank you so much for talking to us today from your word, how you open up our eyes, how you open up our ears, and allow your truth to penetrate into our heart. Lord, as we go forward this week with this challenge, May the time that we spend be time that is opening up our heart, opening up our mind, opening up our ears so that we can hear you speak. What a wonderful promise on the other side of our labors. That when we spend time with you, when we spend time with your word, we get to hear your voice. Lord, we ask as we gather around this table, remembering your broken body and your shed blood, that you, Holy Spirit, would move in our hearts, would stir in us. Lord, we thank you for your sacrifice on our behalf. And we submit ourselves in this quiet time to you. Lord, our ears have been chiseled a little bit. We ask that you would speak to us. We pray this in Christ's holy name. Amen.